0: you pray with me Lord we bring our uh, our meagerness to you knowing that you will multiply even the smallest mustard grain of faith into something that's meaningful for us and for our community we're grateful for you and your presence with us today in your name we pray amen this morning Uh, We are going to initiate a new ministry um, here in our church. Um, We're going to initiate a prayer ministry during communion time, Eucharistic prayer ministry. Now, some of you have been around Anglican churches. Uh, Many Anglican churches actually do this, and some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you may be very unfamiliar with it. So I'm going to describe a little bit about our prayer ministry initiative this morning, but before I do, I wanted to kind of um, meditate together on the, uh, the engagement of the prophet Elijah with the widow of Zarephath as a way of describing what happens when God's people get together and intercede for each other. <clears throat> I want to acknowledge the widow of Zarephath as a very unique and special person. She's become a, a really an icon of faith in Israel and in the body of Messiah thereafter Jesus commended her several times in his ministry and uh, we don't really even know her name Uh, but we know her story because of its power to us Uh, this Old Testament reading to me really exemplifies Old Testament storytelling at its absolute best its economical It's focused on words and actions rather than on emotions and explanations. And that method of storytelling, if I could call it that, uh, is what engages the imagination of the reader to really understand or imagine why what's being said and done is happening. So you don't get long speeches in the Old Testament. You don't get a lot of description about what's going on inside a person. And you're going to see the power of that as we move forward. So here are some things to notice right off the bat. First of all, God says that he has commanded the widow, right? My Bible's blown all over creation here. But it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to uh, Elijah, go to Zarephath, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Well, only he didn't command the widow. Um, I think in God's mind he commanded the widow all right. but in actual reality he had though he had determined that the widow should feed Elijah he had not communicated that to the widow so right off the bat you've got a very interesting plot twist right this is this is what I mean by Old Testament storytelling at its best carefully read the text and you'll find yourself in a whirlwind of paradox and contradiction and creativity You'll also notice that um, in the the way the drama unfolds from the widow's perspective, Elijah does not initially present himself with any credentials. All right, so the widow was not told by God that there would be a prophet coming. And Elijah does not say, behold, I am a prophet. Everything's going to be okay. All right, he just apparently relies on the social conventions of the day where it would have been appropriate for him to ask the woman for water. That's just the way it was. Even Jesus did this. Remember at the woman at the well, he asked the woman to provide him water. That's just social convention. But there was no other disclosure of anything. Then Elijah presses too hard, right? So the woman can supply water because that's there. But now he crosses a line and he said, would you bring me some bread? Now, this causes a reaction from the woman But here we only begin to touch barely the emotions and the pathos lying beneath the surface. She said, well, you know, it's funny you should mention that uh, because I was just about to go and make bread, but by the way, it will be my last meal and then my son and I will go off in a corner and we'll die of starvation. Interestingly, God never told Elijah that the widow would be in this condition. I don't know if he knew that. God only told Elijah to go and ask this woman for bread. He did not say, oh, by the way, the woman will die of starvation thereafter. You see how how much is happening in just about two or three sentences here? You see the drama and the internal pressure building in both Elijah and on the woman. And it's only now that the promise is disclosed By the familiar declaration we have in scripture of do not fear. Probably the hardest commandment for any of us to keep. Elijah presses forward with his request. But now in this kind of opening out of a poetic and beautiful word from God. He says the jar of flowers shall not be spent. The jug of, of oil will not be empty. Until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the face of the earth. Isn't that beautiful? But this is not by far the end of the story. The the final test of faith emerges really for both Elijah and the widow in the second act there that we we had Thomas read, um, which is the death of the widow's son. Uh, That caught both of them off guard. Uh, We don't have calm and cool Elijah here, if you recall in the reading. We'll come back to that. But there too, God intervenes miraculously to raise the boy in response to Elijah's prayer of intercession. And then in conclusion of that is that the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. Okay, I didn't know that before because you never told me and I wouldn't have known that. And she says, now I know that the word of the Lord is in your, in your mouth is truth. So you can see we could spend a, a lot of time unpacking the, the 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 incredible dynamics of of human emotion and engagement with God going on here. There's so many things that we can learn from this story. First of all, one thing we can learn is that we engage God together. Neither Elijah nor the widow are complete in the will of God for each of them without interacting honestly and at the level of the whole being, emotions included. Now the emotional impact and the emotional buildup of both Elijah and the woman unfold over time. It's just not all there all at the start. But by interacting together honestly and with vulnerability and with their full selves, God's will is done. Another thing we learn is that God's will is often discerned together. God's perspective is larger than either Elijah or the woman could have imagined. Which is very powerful. So it's not that God slipped up and forgot to tell the woman something. When he said, I've commanded the woman, I think what is happening is is we're seeing God's providence, which is sometimes hidden from us, but not to himself. He knew fully and completely what he was doing in the life of Elijah and this woman and the power of what was done there has lasted even till today, 3000 years later. His perspective of what's going on is so rich and so comprehensive. And it takes more than just ourselves individually to discern the word of God at times. That's a together thing. We're not even told really at the beginning that God was even interested in the widow. It seems only as if he's interested in, in Elijah's hunger, not in poor widows. He said, hey, Elijah, I've got a solution for you. And you can see how the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing that is because at the very start, if you judged God just on verse 1 of the story, you could get a little cranky and say this guy doesn't seem very approachable. Um, but in fact, God has so much more for establishing his will in the life of Elijah and the, um, uh, of the widow that they could never have imagined just all at once. That's something that's discerned in community. For Elijah, he kind of moves kind of smoothly through Act 1. He discloses the promise of God for this woman with regards to his hunger, and he, everything works out just fine. But it all unravels pretty quickly in Act 2, and he's the one that comes to his knees in the death of a woman's son and very interestingly in this act of intercession her cry becomes his own. Elijah is not a distant person in this story the the woman's cry is that have you come here to kill my son that's what she cries out to Elijah this is very close to what Elijah then brings to God have you brought me here to oversee the death of this poor widow's son. In other words, intercession does not become some kind of distant, smooth, organized and controlled process for Elijah. Elijah too is crushed. Elijah too is brought to the crisis of faith on behalf of this woman and her cry becomes his own. He takes the boy in his own arms and he cries out to God and he stretches his body over this boy three times. It's just such an incredible picture of intercession, not as a method, not as a controlled framework, but as an almost an act of of a certain kind of desperation, a desperation born of his trust in the living God that this could not be. For the woman's part, she's pleased with being fed in act one But that act of being fed brings no confession of faith, like it does in act two. When her anguish becomes uncontrollable, I don't know if her anguish was uncontrollable at the very start. She's obviously in distress, uh, but she's still doing her work. And she's somewhat dismissive of Elijah. Um, You'll notice uh, in the very start here, um, when Elijah comes to her and he asks for bread, she says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. As the Lord your God lives. Now, why would she say that? The widow of Zarephath is not an Israelite. She's a Gentile woman in the north. And so when... Elijah comes, she's respectful, okay, but distant. She, she's kind of saying, look, I, I'm kind of irritated right now. I'm a little busy dying, you know, um, but uh, in, ref, in, in respect to your God, I'll see what happens next, all right? Um, that's not what happens by the very end by the very end the cresting of her anguish at the loss of her son which is even more painful because it looked okay for a while you know at the beginning of the story she and her son were both gonna die that was not surprising what was surprising is that this man of God comes lo and behold they've got food looks like everything's gonna be okay now the son dies makes no sense I don't mean just sense intellectually. I mean existentially. It seems almost cruel, and that's exactly what she tells Elijah. Did you come here to just make it worse? You know, I, I, it was bad enough before you and God came. In, you and your God came into my life. Now it's really bad. All right. But in that very crisis of intercession and God's miraculous intervention, now. You can see why at the very end her confession is so beautiful. Because at the very end she says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. It's our God. It's an amazing transformation. So the answered prayer reached deeply into the hearts of Elijah and the widow. They discover a connection to each other and a a connection to God. The widow, the woman, the widow is brought into the orbit of God's people, Israel, and Elijah is confirmed in his mission, which he'll need for a great battle coming uh, with uh, another person down the road. So the woman's need and Elijah's intercession, they encompass so much, so much that I think we can relate to in the way that our lives intersect with each other and with God. This story shows us and teaches us about the building pressure of real life challenges. We may not be exactly starving to the point of death like this woman and her son, but I know if we went around the the frozen chosen crowd here, um, we would definitely have stories that are close to this. I just received word last week that a very close friend of mine at the age of 60 uh, has an incurable cancer. Um, it 's no different um, i don 't know what the word of promise is to him yet i 'm still working through that myself, but I know that every one of us here has a story just like that of the building pressure of being human and knowing that ultimately we also will all cross the River Jordan, if I could put it that way we 're dying, uh, and yet within that process, we know that the word of process is that we right now are born again to eternal life and we will rise again in a new world. And so the collaboration with other people who speak that word of promise is essential for us. We need other people to speak the word of promise even if they exacerbate us. You know, hey, Elijah, this is just not the time. Um... Elijah comes in with a word of promise and it's a beautiful word. The the steps of faith we take to those in need, um, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The steps that we take together as those of us who are in need and as those of us who serve others who are in need, we do this together. Together we put our trust in God. All of us are people in need. All of us are people who are called to serve. The author of Hebrew, uh, no, it's Peter, says we're a kingdom of priests. We're all able to bear witness to the promise of God to each other, and we all need to hear it from each other. So answering our prayer uh, is what we see God doing But he answers it in so much more than we could have imagined, as Paul says. Always bringing us more fully in touch with who we are and who our people are and who he is and what he's doing. This is is what's happening in the ministry of intercession and prayer. So it's good for us to have this story before us as we reflect together on prayer as a community especially in the way in which we do prayer ministry on Sunday mornings as a part of our Eucharistic celebration. Again, some of you may be very familiar with that and previous experiences in Anglican churches or other churches that do that, not just Anglican, and some of you may not. So uh, logistically what happens um, is that during the time of communion when you come forward for a Eucharist, there will be prayer ministers to decide who are available for you to go and share with them a celebration or a gratitude, or maybe you have a need yourself that you want to receive prayer, or maybe you have something that you're concerned about that you wanna pray with somebody for. Um, All of that and more is what prayer ministry is about, and I'll I'll unpack some more of the details. But one of the reasons why we do this uh, in public during a worship service near the Eucharistic table, is to collaborate together and normalize what it is like to be the body of Christ together where Christ is present. Now, of course, we know Christ is present wherever two or three are gathered in his name, so you can pray anywhere at all times and in all places. But especially here, when we're the gathered community around the very celebration of God's gift of his son to us, prayer in that context can be very special and very meaningful. In the Eucharistic worship, we're, we're always reminded that God is always engaging with us. God is always engaging with us. Here's how the author of Hebrews says it in chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's why we do our table celebration in remembrance of the Lord. We're not remembering that he's gone from us, but we are remembering that he's not where he is, is at the Father's right hand interceding for us right now. So when we we move to ministry of prayer with each other, we're reinforcing that sense in which God is present with us in Christ who's interceding for us on our behalf. One of the things that's interesting about uh, this, this kind of theological truth that God is always engaging with us is that we don't always know it. We don't always feel it. I certainly don't. I have, to, I have to remind myself that God is speaking to me even now. God is present with me even now. Oftentimes, I don't feel that. We're not always aware that God is engaging us. Um, it's interesting that God commanded the widow, but the widow did not know it. And the command comes in the form of a prophet. So God did disclose his will to the widow of Zarephath, but it came through the voice of another. Who she, she does not even know this person, nor does she expect him, until the actual action occurs itself. And I think that's also another gift that we bring each other in the ministry of prayer, that we're acting also as an emissary, an ambassador. Uh, that's part of the ingredients of intercessory prayer and being a body of Christ together. So when we're coming to worship in the Eucharistic meal... Um, we're bringing the, uh, well, to use the metaphor from the widow of Zarephath, we're bringing the, st- the gathered sticks of our lives together. Remember when Elijah comes upon the widow, she's by the city gate gathering sticks, a very uh, daily task and ordinary. You know, oftentimes uh, the, the, um, the church fathers and, and, and the Reformers would say, what we bring uh, with us to the Eucharistic table is just the crumbs of our lives. And the Lord fashions that into a loaf that he gives us to feed us. Um, We're bringing ourselves here this morning. We're not leaving anything behind. The little things and the big things. The drought and the starvation and the sticks we're gathering. We're bringing our private thoughts and anxieties. Remember, the widow does not reveal to us or to Elijah everything she's thinking all at the start. We bring those private thoughts and anxieties into prayer. We bring our small hints and our big outbursts. That small hint, well, as surely as the Lord, your God, lives, I'll go along with your plan. I'm distancing myself from you. I'm a Gentile. This is not my God. You are not my people. I'm sort of irritated with you. Um, have you ca- come to cause death in my life? This is emotional language of overwhelm, the hidden skepticisms, the exasperations. You know, but these are very real things to us and the Lord wants those things. When we come forward for Eucharistic ministry, that's why it's very important for us to know that we don't come to the table because we're good. We don't come to the table because we're successful. We don't come to the table because we've got it all cleaned up. We don't come to the table because we lived a perfect Monday through Saturday before now. We don't come to the table for anything. Nothing in my hands I bring As the hymn says, we come empty, and Jesus gives us himself. That's the gospel. He will take care of the details. We know that because of what Jesus did when he came and took care of those details. And so we experience in our service to others a uh, a kind of a collaboration with this. We have a commission from the Lord when we serve another person. We have a sense of leading and direction. We only have partial information. Nobody ever serves out of their own perfection. People who pray for other people are not diagnosticians or credentialed professionals. Nobody ever knows anyone perfectly. Elijah was not told that the widow was starving. Elijah was not initially given a word from God about that. He wasn't, he didn't, God didn't tell Elijah, go and help this woman. She's starving. Elijah didn't know that until he was on the spot. But in that moment, God gave Elijah what he needed to share a beautiful word of promise about her life, raising both of their eyes to a horizon of God's provision that neither of them could have imagined at the beginning of the journey. They were amazed And part of the being amazed is that we're collaborating with the one who always has more than we could ask or imagine for every need. And in that sense, there's this collaboration between the one who who is receiving prayer and the one who is giving prayer. Both of them are, in, in a certain sense, making decisions together. Both of them are expected to trust Our challenge to trust, let me put it that way. Our challenge to take a step of faith. Both Elijah and the widow have to act in response to the word of God. And they act before the fulfillment is material. That's what it means to trust. You don't have all of the answer yet, but you're trusting that it will come. And that trust is your concrete expression of faith in the one who will answer. So this is a great text for us reflecting on prayer. As we gather together and are fed, we come with nothing, we're given everything, and that is what we're offering and what we're receiving. By going to God in prayer, we're reminding ourselves, just like the widow learned, that we belong to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of children to approach our father to celebrate to request to intercede to do it together so prayer ministry is an opportunity to be present with a brother or a sister to give thanks to intercede to confess to speak a word of promise to proclaim the gospel and that ministry of presence helps remind us that we belong to God it's tangible it's physical It's real when we're with a person that is serving us and joining us. I like to think of how Paul uh, puts the ministry of prayer this way in Romans chapter 8. God, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, gave us Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Very similar to what we read in the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews that Jesus is always there, making intercession for us. So, some practical details about prayer ministry I wanna just kinda follow up with. Prayer ministers will be available discreetly near the table, and and as I said, the proximity reminds us that Jesus, our savior and friend, is with us. We've been fed the, the promise of the gospel, we've been fed the body and blood of Jesus And now it's our privilege to enjoy his friendship in the very places in our lives that need uh, that presence to be felt. We like to be visible to each other. That visibility reminds us, and this is important, that mature communities model respectful compassion for weakness and vulnerability. This is a real missionary focal point for our culture we do not do this well mature communities model respectful compassion for weakness and vulnerability we don't shame we don't wound we don't amplify the pain we don't accuse we don't point the finger it's actually mature and respectful to treat weaknesses and vulnerability with respect and compassion We all have weaknesses. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have needs. And so we have to model what it looks like to humble ourselves and ask for prayer. And we have to model what it looks like to graciously receive each other when we express those needs. We want it to be normal to ask We've, we want it to be normal to give. That's what a mature body of Messiah exemplifies, and that's what we want to model, and that's why we do this together, even where we can see each other. I also, th- I also think it's important to experience the laying on of hands appropriately. This is very common and recommended in intercessory prayer, that we lay hands on each other appropriately, This will never be done without permission and only above the shoulders. Some of you are very familiar with this. Some of you are not. And it's okay to be on the fence about this. I remember the first time somebody laid hands on me in prayer. Um, I was in my 20s. And it was life-changing. Just to have that personal direction, I was in a church where they prayed for people with birthdays. And it had been my birthday. And so they sat a chair in the middle and uh, I sat in it and the ministers gathered round and the people prayed, they laid hands on me, they prayed for me. And it was amazing. I remember Father Steve sharing just a couple of weeks ago about the first time that hands were laid on you in prayer as an adult. It hadn't been our common heritage that that would have been done. Um, Some of you are very familiar with that and are blessed by it, always with permission, uh, and, uh, and always above the shoulders. Um, I promise you that we will not lay on top of you three times <laughs> un- unless you're dead, and then only with Steve's permission. So... Um, I also want to just say, in, in uh, kind of wrapping up here, there is no pressure to come forward for prayer, okay? Um, I want to say just very clearly, I will not be embarrassed or nor will I be uncomfortable if no one comes forward for prayer this morning, all right? Uh, I won't feel disappointed that after this wonderful sermon, the response was nothing, right? That's okay too, Uh, truthfully. um, If we just stand here and look around as prayer ministers, that is not, please don't feel uncomfortable by that or disappointed really just let this happen in the background it's not meant to be a spotlight in that sense the table is the spotlight all right. our common worship together in song is 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 what we're meant to do to celebrate the fact that we've just been fed the gospel of Jesus Christ prayer is meant simply to complement that and there's never any pressure and if nobody comes forward today that's okay I do encourage you though to really think about the themes that we've discussed this morning about being vulnerable, about being giving, about learning how to be mature, about learning how to take steps of faith. Can, can you see why this is a process of maturity? Because nobody does any of this well, right? It can be messy, all right? And by that, I don't mean to say that this is, we're not going to do it safely and with thoughtfulness. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the, personal actions of confessing our needs and taking steps of faith and doing that in a community is something that we have to practice together um and by the way there are many other ways to ask for prayer in this church not only through prayer teams but uh you can i think on the back of the bulletin there's a um instructions on how to request prayer online for example you can certainly approach any anyone in our church that you trust individually for prayer as well if you have any questions please don't hesitate to ask and if you would like to be uh, involved in being a prayer minister I also invite you to talk to me about that or to Father Steve Um, we would love for you to exercise your gifts of prayer as well Um, we'll be blessed to have Jack and Kimberly uh, joining us on the on our prayer team this morning Um, I will be available as well Um, So what that will look like is we'll serve communion to uh, to Jack and Kimberly, and they will stand off discreetly to the side here and be available so that as you come from the table, you're welcome to join them in prayer. Um, After I'm done serving, I will also uh, be available for prayer. Um, And that will be a normal routine as we go forward. Um, There's so much more that could be said uh, about this passage and about this topic, and I'm very excited to start this ministry with you. Um, It's going to be a little clunky because space and all kinds of things, but Steve, I was kind of, you know, getting a little uh, nervous about all that, and and Father Steve said, look, there's never a bad time to start praying, and so here we go. Um, I look forward to being with you in prayer. I will certainly be asking for prayer. Um, I will enjoy praying with you and seeing what God will do together uh, in our community. Amen.